Welcome to Unfiltered. Here's tonight's headline. It's official. The impeachment inquiry was formalized with a vote in the House this week, despite the fact that such a vote was constitutionally unnecessary, despite the fact that House rules implemented by a Republican majority back in 2015 don't require such a vote. Leading up to the vote, it was yet another week of damning testimony from career diplomats and national security officials, including both nonpartisan and political appointees. The top Ukraine expert on the National Security Council, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, told House investigators he was concerned President Trump was blocking $400 million in aid to Ukraine to force that country to publicly announce an investigation into Joe Biden, according to two sources familiar with his deposition. And when he raised concerns about the transcript of the now infamous July 25th call between President Trump and the Ukrainian president, he was told to keep quiet by the National Security Council's top legal advisor. An aide to former National Security Advisor John Bolton, Tim Morrison, supported previous testimony about how long the effort to block military aid had been going on. He confirmed an attempted quid pro quo, but said he did not view the July phone call as illegal. He did, however, ask the same NSC lawyer to review it. No surprise, the president is putting that nugget in the win column. But complaints about the process of impeachment were answered by Democrats with the formal guidelines this week, which mean we could get testimony transcripts as early as next week and public hearings in a couple weeks. Now, as for what happens next, here's the deal. Impeachment is both a practical and a political process. Keep that in mind as we move forward here. So practically, the conclusion is fairly straightforward and looks inevitable. The House, controlled by majority Democrats, will likely vote to impeach the president. Nancy Pelosi and other Democrats might say no one comes to Congress to impeach a president, but that's not technically true. I can think of at least a couple who ran on wanting to impeach the president. One even used colorful language to describe what she was going to do to him. Okay, so we can also practically conclude that the Senate, which will serve as jurors in the trial of the president and is made up of majority Republicans, will likely not vote to convict and remove the president. So he'll likely be right where he is when this is all said and done. Okay, that's the practical part of impeachment. What we don't yet know is how the politics of impeachment will shake out for Trump, for Democrats and Republicans in Congress, and for the 2020 contenders. That is still a huge question mark. Will impeachment help Trump? Will it damage him? If this drags on through to 2020, will it hurt Democratic presidential candidates? Will it hurt swing state candidates in districts Trump won? There's some early warning signs, some things we do know. Two Democrats voted against the formal impeachment rules this week. They are both from districts. Trump won by double digits. Not a single House Republican voted for it. That's not that surprising. But what will Republican senators do? Some are starting to shift off Trump's talking point that there was no quid pro quo and are admitting, yes, there was a quid pro quo, but that it's not illegal, as Senators John Kennedy and Ted Cruz reportedly said in a private GOP lunch this week. That's not great for Trump. Now, what about voters? Remember them? Well, the latest Washington Post ABC News poll shows 49 percent support impeachment and removal right now. And 47 percent are opposed. That's a real slim majority. 
And independents are reversed, actually. 47% support, 49% oppose. That should be troubling for Democrats. Throw on top of all of that, there's potentially a government shutdown looming on the horizon, which could delay the impeachment process even further. And that benefits Trump. There's no way to tell yet how the politics of impeachment will shake out. Speaker Nancy Pelosi was careful this week not to overstate their position, saying, I do think we have enough. We've had enough for a very long time. But as long as there is corroboration, we might as well get to see some more and then we'll see. So following these two tracks, the practical and the political, let's break them both down. First, we start with the practical. Joining me now is Congressman, Democratic Congressman from California and member of the House Oversight Committee, Ro Khanna. Uh, Congressman, thanks for joining me. What do you think this week's vote accomplished practically? Well, it sent a clear message that the House Democrats are unified in seeing that the president uh, abused his office by pressuring Zelensky to investigate a political rival, Joe Biden. Joe Biden was up in the polls. Joe Biden is the candidate that the White House has said they most fear. And this was the president's effort to tarnish him. And most people who look at that say it's wrong and it's unconstitutional. So it, it sent a it sent an almost unified message. I'm sure you're aware two Democrats in Trump districts, uh, Jeff Andrew in New Jersey, Colin Peterson in Minnesota. They broke ranks with your party. Does that indicate to you that at least some Democrats are concerned that there will be a, there will be a political cost to this? Not really, Essie, because uh, there were so many Democrats in Trump districts, in Iowa, in yeah. Michigan, in Virginia, who, uh, where Trump carried the district by 10 points, who voted for the impeachment inquiry. Yeah. So obviously, when you have a caucus that is uh, 230-odd members, you're going to lose one or two votes. But yeah. it's remarkable how unified we actually were. And that wouldn't have been the case a couple months ago. Mm. So um, President Trump has already been damaged by this Uh, new poll. Sixty six percent of people uh, say he's acted in a way that's unpresidential. Uh, But in that same poll, some bad news for Democrats, Congressman, views of the Democrats handling of the inquiry tilt negative. Fifty percent disapprove of the way Democrats have handled this. Forty three percent approve. Pelosi's approval is also underwater. I know you think that this is important no matter what the polls say, no matter what the political consequences, I get that. But the political consequences might not be theoretical. What if Democrats lose the House because of it? I don't think we will, Essie. Uh, Let me tell you what I think the polls are saying. I think most Americans believe that the president's conduct was wrong and there was an abuse of office. But there's also a frustration with every branch of government because what people want is uh, to us to focus on infrastructure or lowering the cost of prescription drugs, on education, and they feel like we're not getting anything done. And the ambivalence is reflected in the polls. They mm-hmm. agree that the, what the president did is wrong, but they want us to actually do things that are going to improve people's lives. And that's the challenge, candidly, for Democrats. We have to do our constitutional responsibility, but we mm-hmm. have to be focused on our positive agenda and convince people that our priority really is fixing problems in their everyday lives. So when do you know when the public hearings will begin and part two, are you concerned that there'll be a circus with, you know, everyone watching? 
I believe they're going to begin before Thanksgiving. I hope that we have okay. a vote before the end of the year. I agree with columnist David Brooks that we need to get this process over with, a vote to impeach, put it in the Senate, yeah. and then come out with our positive agenda in 2020. And we need to do it in a dignified way. It needs okay. to be evidence-focused and a few, few witnesses, not going on in, into a circus, as you put it. Well, let's talk about some of those key witnesses and who they might be. I know Democrats really want to talk to Don McGahn, the president's former White House counsel. Uh, on Thursday, a federal judge questioned the DOJ argument that McGahn is immune from testifying. So we'll have to we'll have to wait and see where that goes. But what would you want to hear from him specifically if he is forced to testify? Well, with Don McGahn, there's uh, questions about the president's obstruction of justice, not just in the case of uh, Ukraine, but also in uh, the case with the whole uh, Mueller investigation. But I believe that the most critical witness would be Ambassador Taylor. The public testimony mm. is that Ambassador mm. Taylor uh, had knowledge of the call. He can testify that Rudy Giuliani basically was conducting an operation in Ukraine, compromising our national security uh, to advance the president's re-election agenda, and that they were withholding aid unless Zelensky announced a public investigation against Biden. I think we have to keep it simple. We have to keep it focused mm. on that national security breach and have a few witnesses uh, who will corroborate that and then vote and put this on the Senate. Congressman Rokan, always good to have you. Thanks so much. Thank you, Essie. Okay, impeachment is almost inevitable. How the Democratic Party handles that with voters could have decisive impacts come 2020. It's just around the corner. And the president's campaign is actually banking on impeachment being a political win for him. They're leaning into it. Could they be right? All of that still to come. The president's opponents may be celebrating this week after House Democrats voted to move forward on impeachment. But it's important to remember that impeachment itself is a political act, not a legal one. So we talked about the process. Let's now discuss the politics. Barring defections by a dozen or so Senate Republicans voting to convict the president of a crime, an unlikely prospect given the president working this behind the scenes this week, meeting with nine GOP senators at the White House, reportedly using campaign cash as both a carrot and a stick for senators facing re-election and heeding the advice of Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell to lay off the Twitter attacks on senators whose votes he may need. This might not be the slam dunk Democrats are hoping for. As Senator David Perdue reportedly said this week, the president knows this is dead on arrival in the Senate. So for swing and red state Democrats like Senator Doug Jones of Alabama, Things are more perilous. Jones will have to choose between voting to convict the president, potentially alienating voters in his home state, and voting against conviction and alienating his party. Not an enviable position, and he's not alone. Presidential candidates aren't in the clear either. The highly partisan nature of the congressional vote and the likelihood of being cleared in the Senate will allow President Trump to, to claim that he's been exonerated, that, see, I did nothing wrong. This whole thing has been nothing but another partisan witch hunt. Democrats are taking their shot at the king, as the saying goes. Okay, here to discuss the potential political fallout of the impeachment process is former Virginia governor and former DNC chairman Tara McAuliffe. Welcome. Um, first, Governor, let's agree, you and I, to stipulate. You believe the reason most Democrats are pursuing impeachment is because they think it's the right thing to do and they're upholding their constitutional duties in doing so. And I agree with that decision to pursue impeachment too. But 
you know as well as I do, better in fact, because you went through this as a, as a Clinton friend, that the politics is real. In Clinton's case, his approval numbers actually went up. Democrats gained seats in the House in the 1998 midterms. Tell me why this go-round is different. Well, first off, you go back to the Clinton impeachment. No one for one day did not think that Bill Clinton got out of bed every single day fighting for them. And that's a huge difference. Also, this is a malfeasance in office. This is trying to bring a foreign government into our domestic political situation. This is an abuse of office for personal political gain. So, SC, there's a huge difference. But Uh I can tell you, you know, we have elections in three days in Virginia. Right. And I can tell you, folks are motivated. This is an off-off-year election. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, I was at a huge rally last night in Stafford County, Virginia, for Josh Cole and Jess Foster and Kasim Rashid. Huge crowd turned out. People are motivated because this president has abused his office, and there's a huge difference in that. Mm. Okay, so earlier, um, just before you, I I spoke to a Democratic congressman, Rokana, who said that he wasn't worried about the political cost of this for Democrats, that he didn't think Democrats would lose the House uh, in 2020. Do you think it's worth it, even if it does wrest control of Congress back to Republicans? Well, I think the issue, first of all, there's overwhelming evidence now. You have, uh, I'm obviously, Ambassador Taylor and others who've come out, the malfeasance in office, the abuse of office. That is clear. And I got to tell you, I find this so offensive. The Republicans have now seen and heard this evidence. And they don't believe there should be any investigation at all. And think yeah. about that for a second. They yeah. just don't believe we should, he should be investigated. And that's not the way our country is set up. It's not the way our yep. democracy was founded. It's not the way the Constitution says we need to do it. So there's clear evidence, no question. And you think back over the years we've gone through with Republicans in control of the Congress with their foolish investigations. We went on for months and months about Benghazi. We went on and talked about Hillary's emails, which now report comes out. She was totally vindicated. So this is a a different standard. But the idea that the Republicans don't think there should even be an investigation is laughable. It's no, sad. I understand it is that motivating I Democrats. You. I agree with you. But what I what I asked was, what if this right as though it might be and a constitutional duty uh, to pursue this investigation? And I agree with you about Republicans. Yep. But what if it rests control of Congress back to Republicans? Will it be worth it? Absolutely. You have to do your constitutional duty. Mm-hmm. And listen, I give Speaker yep. Pelosi tremendous credit. She waited a very, very long time. And she wanted to see and make sure that the evidence was clear. And at that point, when it was clear, she decided to move ahead. I give her tremendous credit. I mean, we had this phone call. We had people corroborate. We had people who were on the phone. And you even had the National Security Advisor, John Bolton, referring to it as a drug deal and telling folks working for him, you need to go talk to the legal counsel. I mean, it is crystal clear, S.E. So you got to do what you have to do in your job. You took the oath of office. You put your hand up to defend the Constitution of the United States, and the chips are going to fall where they may. But Mm. I can tell you, having done 123 events in the last couple months in Virginia, I have never seen crowds. People have had it with Trump. They've had it with the criminality of Trump. And they, he is motivating our base. Well, so let's out. talk about, yeah, let's talk about the presidential candidates. Um, sure. Most of them, with the exception of Joe Biden, have tried to sort of cordon off their campaigns and stay away from the oxygen-sucking impeachment extravaganza. Yeah. Biden yeah. has leaned into it more. Um, yeah. Which approach do you think is best, or is it maybe different for each candidate? 
Well, I think most of them have come out and, you know, obviously have said we support the impeachment hearings. Obviously, right. Vice President Biden is in the middle of it That's because right. what the president was trying to do was to get a foreign leader to interfere because Joe Biden was up in the polls against him. So exactly, uh, yeah. this is a huge opportunity for Joe Biden. But all the mm. other candidates are out there. But SC, as you know, the hard part for some of the lesser known candidates, it has taken up a lot of oxygen. Yeah. It's made it hard for the other candidates to break through. And I think what you're going to see is saw it with Beto just happened. He pulled out of the race. You just run out of money and you can't continue. And I think you're going to see a lot right. more folks. You've heard about office closings. We're going to now really yeah. get down to four or five and have a real serious debate on these issues. But we got to get back to talking about job creation, something I did every day mm. as governor, low in prescription drug costs. What do we do about infrastructure? And that's what we Democrats, we really got to focus on because that's what the public cares about each and every day. So I know that's what a lot of Democratic candidates want to talk about, but I'm just imagining a uh, uh, general election debate stage if Trump agrees to debate. And I, I'm not sure yeah. that he's going to, but let's pretend he agrees to debate. Yeah. And the, the Democratic nominee is Joe Biden or Elizabeth Warren or name your yeah. candidate. And Trump is up there saying they tried to impeach me and they couldn't they couldn't do it. They tried to overrule voters. You guys, they couldn't do it. I mean, that's um, that's persuasive, no? Well, I, I think clearly he will be impeached. I mean, there's no question he will be impeached in the House of Representatives. The but evidence not is removed, there. probably. But not removed. I think it would be very hard to get those senators. But let's see. When the yeah. evidence comes out, uh, you may see that damn break. I think it's yeah. probably unlike. I mean, these Republicans don't even think we should have an investigation. I know. They are, they are terrified of Donald Trump, that he's going to get on Twitter and he will get primary opponents against those senators I that are you. not supporting him. They're I just terrified you. of him. They, they, they took well, an oath of office. They ought to fight for the country, not for themselves. All right. Former head of the DNC governor of Virginia, Terry McAuliffe, thanks Thank so much for coming back on. Yeah, appreciate it. OK, let's be clear. The president is worried about this and he should be. His campaign, however, is making lemonade out of lemons. Will it work? And 2020 Democrats find themselves in the first in the nation state of Iowa this weekend, where fortunes are taking an interesting turn. I'll explain. Welcome back. You've heard the expression, it takes a village to raise a child. Well, for Republicans, it apparently takes a jerk to change Washington. But the Democrats would rather focus on impeachment and phony investigations, ignoring the real issues. But that's not stopping Donald Trump. He's no Mr. Nice Guy, but sometimes it takes a Donald Trump to change Washington. That was a new ad for Trump, embracing the obvious that many people don't like him. But again, according to the ad, they might like his record. Record low unemployment, growth in manufacturing jobs, dead ISIS leaders. If that ad is a preview of the president's re-election strategy, you don't have to like him to re-elect him, how will that go over with voters? My panel joins me now to discuss just a couple all-stars here. CNN political commentators, former White House press secretary Joe Lockhart and former media advisor for George W. Bush's presidential campaign, Mark McKinnon. Welcome, Mark. I got to be honest, you know... I am no fan of the president's. I saw that ad. I thought, oh, Democrats are in trouble. Yeah, it's, you think? it's really strong. And, and, it's, and it's effective because he's saying what people think anyway. And he's saying that basically I'm willing to bend the rules to get stuff done for you. Yeah. And by the way, that's not, a, not just a good reelection camp ad. That's a good message about impeachment. 
Mm, you know, because uh -huh. he's saying, listen, you know, yeah, I bend the rules, but in the, in the end, it's, I'm getting stuff done for you. It's kind of a Robin Hood thing, you know? Yeah. It's like, I'm a bad guy, but I'm your bad guy. Right. No, right? I thought it was really effective. Um, Joe, it's looking like Trump is going to sort of lean into impeachment instead of um, doing what your old boss did, which was, you know, sort of uh, avoid it completely, focus on the agenda. He's doing the opposite. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, listen, a good campaign works with what they have. And what they have is Donald Trump, who's obsessed with this. Uh, so the idea that they would run a campaign on, uh, you know, the tax cut and, right, right, you know, reducing right. regulations and judges yeah. is, is absurd. I think one of the interesting things here is that you've got the Congress, you've got the White House, who are flailing around to find a message. And the only people who have a message is the Trump campaign. Uh -huh. And that is, you know, that is, mm. you know, I mean, whether that ad will be enough to uh, overpower all this information that's coming about, yeah. coming out about it uh, is one thing. But it is a strategy. And it's the only strategy that can, that can be consistently executed over time. You know, it's a right. little bit like Bush 2004, too, because we were not as popular as Kerry. People didn't agree with our positions right. necessarily, but it's like, you know what we believe. Yeah. You know, yeah. You, know you, you, you may not agree with us, but you know where we are. And, we're and doesn't this also kind of neutralize a Democratic point that, um, you know, Trump is divisive and Trump is... Trump is scandalous and controversial. Yeah, because he's saying you got to do that to get. I am. You got. Yeah. That's that's the only way to get stuff done in Washington. You knew that when you elected me. I'm right. going to go break stuff to get stuff done. <laughs> right. But it is. But there is a fine line here between uh, breaking the rules and breaking China to get things done and yeah. breaking the law. Yeah. And you know they I, again. You you work with what you have, mm -hmm. and, and I think they've done a nice job here with what they have. I'm not as confident that somehow this is, you know, sort of a killer strategy because we're just going to go through two months, the next two months, of finding out um, a lot of information that might overwhelm, you know, the, you know this yeah. kind of campaign. Well, so what they also have is a lot of money. And Trump is using it, reportedly, to reward good senators for defending him uh, against impeachment. I guess you could see that as a sign of Trump's own weakness, that he's got to pay members of his own party to support him and really defend the indefensible. How do you see that? Well, I'll say this. You know, Donald Trump came into office as not a politician, right? Yeah. And yet, while in office, he has been one of the most muscular politicians in history in terms of just raw power. Hmm. Just burning people. If you're not with me, I'm yeah. going to take you out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? So this so, is in keeping with that. Yeah. What do you make of it? Yeah, listen, uh, you know, it, this, this is a political process. So yes. for people who wring their hands over, you know, sort of trying to influence the jurors, come on, it's politics. You do what you would have to do. Yeah. The one thing is, you know, I wouldn't overestimate the impact of Trump's money mm. In, 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 in totality, because there's going to be a lot of Democratic money. Yeah, once it consolidates, Where yeah. I think it's interesting is Trump's early money, because while Democrats are all running around trying to promote themselves, he's trying to define the Democrats as a whole. Mm. And, you know, it's if, if I'll go back, since Mark went back to uh, 2000, <laughs> I'll go back to 96, you'll remember that uh, the ad campaign that Bill Clinton ran started in 1995. Mm -hmm. And because he shored up his positives that were under attack from the 94 debacle midterm yes. elections. And by the time we got to 1996 and, you know, Bob Dole could turn to Clinton, mm -hmm. the public felt very positively about him. Hmm.
Uh, Mark, according to three different models that Moody's Analytics uses to measure presidential contests based on how consumers feel about their own financial situations, Trump is likely to win re-election. Now, that model has only missed one presidential election since 1980, and that was 2016. What do you think? I think the only surprise is that with the economy where it is, that he's not, you know, winning Way by, yeah, by yeah. 20 points. Yeah. So that just that says how much the anchors on his character are pulling him down. Well, is it is it really going to be, Joe, all about the economy? I don't think so. I think it's yeah. going to be all about Trump. Uh-huh. Uh, and right. the thing about Trump, just echoing what Mark said, is all of the models are useless. Mm-hmm. Because Trump is, you know, yeah. he, he literally <laughs> broke the mold. And uh, there's no I, Trump model. No, throw it know, away. And, you know, it, <laughs> is, it, it really is uh, staggering that with an economy, which, by the way, is slowing. Yeah. But you go back a year and the economy was going well, that he was still sitting around 40 percent in job approval. And it's hard to see that uh, translating using the models right. into a reelection. All right. But but there are no models anymore. Well, you guys stay right there. You're not going anywhere because uh, I'm going to have you back and we're going to move on from the president to the candidates hoping to take his place. And new polling suggests still, even now, it's anyone's race. the red file tonight. It's getting real, y'all. The once huge Democratic primary field is seeing some serious shifts now. Texas Congressman Beto O'Rourke announced he's dropping out last night. California Senator Kamala Harris laid off all but a handful of staffers in New Hampshire and canceled a planned swing through the state next week, instead focusing on Iowa. Get this, the Iowa caucus is now just three months away. And new polling shows four candidates are neck and neck for the lead there. Mayor Pete Buttigieg has surged with 18 percent support, sits among Senators Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, along with former Vice President Joe Biden. Buoyed by a strong debate performance, Buttigieg's poll rise has coincided with a shift in his rhetoric, something he highlighted in a speech at the Liberty and Justice Dinner last night where he spoke about seeing an American majority done with a division. I've seen it in Granger, Indiana, when a diner filled up with conservative Republicans protesting the deportation of a neighbor they knew to be a good man. And I'll be seeing it in a few weeks on the morning of Thanksgiving Day, because in 2019, in rural Michigan, you cannot stop a man from going deer hunting with his husband's father. Did you hear that? He's just a regular deer hunting, diner going, Republican knowing Hoosier. Okay, my panel is back with me, former White House Press Secretary under President Clinton, Joe Lockhart, and former John McCain advisor, co-host of the Showtimes, of Showtimes The Circus, Mark McKinnon. Mark, I start with you because your show there made a little news this week. The episode hasn't aired, but we did get to see a clip of Pete Buttigieg um, making some news. Here it is. You accept the notion right now that it's kind of worn against the field, really. Yeah. Someone's trying to become the, the, the alternative to yeah. Warren right now, right? Yeah, I think it's, it's shaping up that way. And so the former vice president of the United States is, like, in your mind at this point already, like, gone? I would say this. Either he is the unstoppable frontrunner and we can all go home, or he's not. Right. And anybody who's in this race uh, is here on the assumption that, that he's not. 
He sort of walked those comments back a little today, but I actually agree with him. I think that it's worn against the field, and he is a front runner. Your thoughts? Well, he went on to say that it's a two-person race, which yeah. he probably shouldn't be saying out loud. That's kind of punditry practiced by a candidate, which we don't yes. normally yes. recommend. <laughs> on the other hand, I think he's right. Right. I mean, what we saw in Iowa this week was he, he is having a moment there. Yeah. He had a terrific speech last night, and not only the speech, which we, can't, we know he's a good orator, but he had like a quarter of the arena, which is a huge arena. I mean, yeah. way more than Biden yeah. uh, and, and even more than Warren did. So he's on fire out there. And, ascendant, uh, as they yeah, say. Yeah, he is ascendant. Mm. And, you know, so. uh, Joe, I said from the beginning that Buttigieg should run as the younger alternative to Biden. Right. He's from a conservative state. He served. He can talk about foreign policy. Um, he's practical, not pie in the sky. He didn't do that at first, but he's starting to do that now. Is it? Too late? Is it a good strategy? No, I don't think it's too late. Mm -hmm. I think it's a good strategy. You know, if you uh, close your eyes and listen to the speech last night, you would hear a little bit of Barack Obama mm. uh, in, in 2008. This idea that we're one America and we have to deal with the divisions. And I think uh, Biden entered this race as sort of with a stranglehold on the Obama legacy. Yeah. But it was a little uh, uh, discordant because, you know, Biden's a, a, he's older. Yeah. He's been around Washington. He's a Washington insider. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Buttigieg has got a lot more of those things, and that's why he's always been a great candidate on paper. But because, as, as Mark was pointing out before when we were talking, yeah. he's never had more than 8,000 votes in any election. Right. Untested. Um, but I do think that um, he, he has a message that's Obama-like, and we're going to see whether he can be the alternative. The problem is, it's, I don't necessarily accept that it's Warren against the field right now. No. Because there's, mm. there's, there's so many moving pieces here. And for Warren, I think, to get the nomination, she's got to get some Bernie supporters. And I'm not yeah. sure that's going to happen. For Buttigieg to get the nomination, Biden supporters. And it could she also be. some African American it, voters. Right. <laughs> it could be at the end of this yeah. that um, none of those things move. Biden gets to South Carolina. African Americans all of a sudden play the role they do in Democrats, and he squeaks by yeah. and gets the nomination. And there's it's some just, other things happening yeah. in Iowa too. Klobuchar, you could sense, has, has got some mm. things going on out there. Harris mm. had a very good speech last night, as did Booker. So, uh, you know, there's there's 100 days, and it's, as we know, yep. Joe, it breaks light there. Always. Um, with Beto out, Buttigieg really is the only young candidate. Yeah, he's the polling at more than five percent. He's the generational candidate. Yeah. He really is. Yeah. Is that, do you think, an advantage or a disadvantage for him? I think it's a huge advantage. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that uh, millennials are fired up and ready to go, and they're looking for a candidate. And I think that's a big part of the reason that not usually a reliable voting group. No, but I think they may be this time. Maybe we'll see. So. And, and I don't think that uh, a young candidate only appeals to millennials. Again, mm -hmm. the, I think the great debate in the Democrats is what is the base. And I think there's this conventionalism that the base is young people and ultra progressives. When in fact, the base, the definition of the base is what's the most reliable group of voters yeah. that sort of outnumber the rest. Of, and that base is African Americans mm -hmm. and um, women. Yeah. Uh, and I think I think there it's not just Warren or Bernie Sanders that can appeal to that group. Mm -hmm. It's it's Buttigieg, Klobuchar, and even well, Joe Biden. When Buttigieg talk some sense, like Medicare for all is not practical. I think he reaches a lot of, you know, suburban moms uh, like me. It starts yep. sounding rational. Uh, okay, Joe Lockhart, Mark McKinnon, thanks so much for spending time with me tonight. Appreciate you both. Kick it. Another defection at Fox News. I'll talk about the president's cable news firewall next.
For the second time in less than a month, a high-profile journalist has left Fox News. An original at the network since its launch in 1996, Catherine Herridge is leaving to join CBS News as senior investigative correspondent. According to a source, her contract expired over the summer. Fox News wanted to renew it, but knew she might leave. She was in talks to join CBS even before Shep Smith resigned in the middle of October. But in a statement sure to raise some eyebrows, Herridge said of her move, CBS News has always placed a premium on enterprise journalism and powerful investigations. I feel privileged to join a team where facts and storytelling will always matter. Ouch. Now, if that sounds familiar, just a few weeks before, Smith signed off his final broadcast saying, in part, it is my hope that the facts will win the day, that truth will always matter. So what does this mean for the network? Now is CNN media analyst Bill Carter. Bill, this is a coup for CBS. Um, Catherine is a highly respected journalist. Yes. One of Fox's most visible Washington correspondents. I believe she's an original. She started with the network. She was. She was. This is is good for CBS. Well, yeah. I mean, she's a real name. People know her. She's had a big audience to talk to for all this time. And she's leaving under circumstances that make it look like this is a very good professional move for her. Yeah. It's, It's her saying... I'm a serious journalist. This is what I want to do. I don't think that there's an accident in that double use of the facts there. I don't either. So, I mean, something is really going on here. So after Shep left, um, my colleagues Brian Stelter and and Oliver Darcy reported that a Fox employee said, don't be surprised if there's an exodus. Uh, Yes. Uh, Fox hasn't just lost Shep today. Do you think there's going to be more exits? Well, I think so, because you now sense, well, she obviously didn't sign her contract. She could have signed all this time and didn't. So she's been thinking about it for a while. And this has been clearly going on there for a period of time. And as Fox gets more entrenched, and from a business point of view, you understand why. Right, right. They're completely entrenched with the message that they're going to support Trump. And that's what they do. Yep. That's what they do around the clock. And the people who are on the regular beats are brought into that. They're dragged into yeah. that. They have to respond when they, they're on with Hannity or Carlson mm-hmm. or Ingram. They have, to, they have to say what the narrative is. The narrative yeah. of the day is how did this benefit or, or how can we excuse it if it's, if it's a negative against Trump. And not to, uh, not to be contrarian, but uh, isn't this move by CBS to pick up Heritage also kind of a good look for Fox that one of their own went on to a top post at a... Uh, at network. Uh, yes, it says we've had this very professional person all this time. Right. But we also lost her. We just lost her. <laughs> right, and, right, and right. Interestingly, Shep has already been, you know, proposed by Jeff Zucker at this network that he would be interested in Shep. So clearly they had. Have to wait a few years, <laughs> honestly. Contract. Whatever his contract yeah. says. Yeah. But clearly the talent there, at least in the news yeah. side, ha- is attractive to people. Um, Fox, as you know, is President Trump's firewall. It's yes. a very influential outfit. Um, new polling shows that among people who consider um, Republicans who consider Fox News their primary source of news, 55 percent said uh, that um, n- almost nothing could dissuade them from approving of Trump. Yes. That is, I mean, that is Trump's takeover of Fox News. Yes. and Fully. And, and, and it's beneficial to both Trump and Fox. Well, clearly it is. As I said, it's a very good business strategy for them. They have an, an audience that is passionate 
about yeah. what they're selling. It, they're passionate about it, and they're never going to waver. And they want to watch it round the clock. They really are faithful to the network. Mm-hmm. 55% seems a little low to me in some ways. <laughs> well, listen, it, that same poll found 98% of Republicans who say Fox is their primary it, source of are, news will oppose Trump being impeached and removed. Yes, 98%. That's, that's, more, that's more along the lines but of But then isn't it hard for Fox to make the case fair and balanced? That well, number does I, not sound very I, fair they, and balanced. They don't, I don't think they're really serious about making that case anymore, okay. do you? I don't, I don't <laughs> no. think they are. I think they realize this is our bread and butter and we're going to yeah. follow it. It's working. It. They yeah. are... Uh, from, they from are a making, business point of view, it's enormously successful. And I know, and I just wonder, um, you know, briefly before we go, I just wonder what happens when Trump is no longer in the It's White a real House. question. But, but if it's a Democrat, they have a target. So right, it, right. It no, that, that would too. be good, good for business. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, CNN media analyst Bill Carter, <laughs> thanks so much for coming on. And more to come after the break. In an interview this week with the Washington Examiner, President Trump once again insisted his phone call with Ukraine President Zelensky was perfect. So perfect, in fact, that he's thinking of performing it live. He said, at some point, I'm going to sit down, perhaps as a fireside chat on live television, and I will read the transcript of the call because people have to hear it. When you read it, it's a straight call. Did you catch that? He wants to give a fireside chat. FDR's famed fireside chats were a series of evening radio broadcast addresses between 1933 and 1944. He used the colloquial conversational format to address serious concerns Americans had about the recession, the drought, the New Deal and World War II. They were meant to calm and reassure an anxious and even despairing citizenry. He made these addresses from the diplomatic reception room of the White House and he would often begin his talk with the words, my friends or my fellow Americans. Trump wanting to do a live reading of a call with a foreign head of state in which he abuses the office of the presidency is not a fireside chat. It's a stunt and a dumb one at that. Fireside chats were meant to bring Americans together to calm their fears, to explain terrifying events like war and economic crisis. Trump is the opposite of all that. He relishes dividing Americans, stoking their fears and confusing them about important issues. Whatever he decides to do, it won't be a fireside chat. In the immortal words of Inigo Montoya, I say, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. That's it for me tonight, but stick around because up next, Van Jones talks to California Governor Gavin Newsom about the devastating fires there. Plus, vets turned Congress members talk about impeachment and its impact on national security. Stick around. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.